0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to VillageChurchBaltimore.com.
1: Were completed for his circumcision. He was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem.
0: Thank you, Nancy. You can have a seat. And we're um, we're doing a three week series called. Uh, we're taking a little break. We're going to conclude Ephesians starting in the new year. So don't worry, we're not just dropping that. We are going to finish it. Uh, but we thought appropriate to do a three week series during this Advent season. And for those of you church calendar nerds, you know that Advent actually started last Sunday. But we don't follow the calendar in every way. It's all right. God's God still loves us. But we're doing a three week Advent series here as we approach Christmas. And and the title of the series is The King Is Here. I don't know what it is, but whenever I say it, I want to say, the king is here. Like, there's something within me that, like, announcing and proclaiming that Jesus, the king of the universe, has come into the world. And as I said with our little ones, um, the, the really, really good news for us is, in some sense, there should be an anticipation. We're looking forward to something, but we're on the other side of history with that. We already know he's come. Like the king is here. It's not just that he's coming. He's here and we get to celebrate it because we know what's happened, but it's good rhythmic reminders for us to remember the implications and the power of what it means that the God, man, Jesus Christ entered our world to be with us. So we're going to be looking at some different implications of the fact that Jesus is the king who has come into our world. And as we look today, um, looking at this idea of what it means to have a satisfied soul, I'm thinking about Christmas. And again, maybe I'm just really pagan. But for me, a lot of my thoughts get around the gifts. You know, and maybe a lot of you, that's, that's your focus during Christmas time. Man, I got to get gifts for people. I got to do it. And, and it can be kind of stressful because you want to find the right gift for people, especially the closer you are to them. And man, for some of us, there is this amazing technology that has made life so good. It's called Amazon Wishlist. This thing where people can just put, I mean, it's not even hard anymore, right? People can just put on a website, here are the things I want. No drama. You don't even have to think about it. Just click a button and you got to find a way that the notifications don't come if you want a surprise, right? But it's like an amazing thing. And part of the the reason why I, I have some affinity to that is that it's disappointing for me to get gifts for people. And, and you've put thought into it, and I'm just not a good gift buyer. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly intuitive with some stuff, not when it comes to gifts, right? That's why I love gift cards. But, like, that feeling of maybe you've experienced it yourself. Like, you open up something, and you're expecting something, and you see it, and you're like, oh, I've never wanted that. But thank you. Right? It's like, <laughs> it, and, and the thing is, even if it's something you wanted, and we can be honest here, right? Even if it's something you really wanted and maybe you can remember when you were a kid, you get something and it was on your wish list all year and you wrote Santa for it and you actually get it and you're really hyped for like 24 hours and then it's like you never got it again, right? It's like, what's next? What can I get next Christmas? Like there's a sense of being human that even our greatest desires, even when we feel like we meet them, there's sometimes a letdown that comes with that. Not just with gifts. But just life in general like when we put our hope in these things it's like a vapor it seems so real at the time but you try to grab it and you're like oh it's it's gone that's part of being human and what i want to do for us this morning is help us to um, be be able to put our eyes on this idea of looking at the one who truly satisfies our souls and you're like, well, are we in a church? Of course you're going to talk like that. But at least for me, I need to be reminded of that continually because I don't know about you all, but for me, I wrestle continued dissatisfaction, discontentment, asking what's next. That's how I need the gospel. So I'm excited about that for us as we start this short series. And like we heard read, uh, we're going to look at this through a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. So let me pray for us again as we ask the Spirit to guide us. Lord, Holy Spirit, I'm just so thankful for every person who's in this room today. And only you know what's really brought every one of us here. Maybe it's tradition, maybe it's ritual, maybe it's obligation, maybe it's hunger and desire. Whatever it might be, we thank you that you've brought us here, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you do that thing where you can take one spoken word but you can interpret it supernaturally to what each of our souls needs to hear from you to be reminded of the one who truly satisfies when things of this world can sometimes fall short. So guide us right now, Lord. Give us attentive hearts to hear from you what we need. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So this story that we looked at from Luke chapter 2, it teaches us some things about this King, king Jesus. And if you're unfamiliar or if it's newer to you, we've just had some of the account of Jesus being born. And you might have seen it in Christian pageants and different things. This is some of the follow-up. And just our first point that we're going to look at is this idea that the king satisfies his followers that this king, he truly brings satisfaction to those who follow him. So let me read again from chapter 2, starting verse 21. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named, and this is talking about Jesus, obviously, because he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And just for us to get a little bit of context, what's going on here, um, Jesus has been born and you might think, whoa, everyone's preparing for this king. Everyone must know he's the Messiah. He's going to the temple, he's getting dedicated, sacrifices. Um, This is actually what was be common for all firstborn males. Like every family, you would go do these same practices. So in some sense, this was just what every firstborn male of a family would do. Jesus, we see his name though, and his parents paid attention when the angels were visiting because his name, Jesus, literally means the Lord saves. So there's been always this mark on him, and you might have some teaching or hear some things that Jesus was never truly divine, but like slowly through his life, he kind of started to recognize things. He was just a man like us, but he finally received what he was intended to be, like superhero kind of. no. He was prophesied from before he was physically born. He would always be this Savior, this Messiah. And even from his very beginning, his name, the Lord saves. So he's circumcised, and he's brought to the temple to dedicate to God and, and be given sacrifices. And, and this is just a side note, but I think it's worth us considering, because Jesus was revolutionary. When we say that the king is here, he just shake, shook everything up. Because, um, and you Again, Bible nerds, go dig in this because you'll love this. But you see some of the prescriptions that are given for this uh, dedication of the newborns. In places like Leviticus, it's a book of the law, chapter 12, verse 8. They talk about what you're supposed to sacrifice when you dedicate this newborn firstborn son in the family. And usually there's one um, sacrifice that's associated with the burnt offering. You would bring a uh, one-year-old uh, sheep. And then you would give either a turtle dove or a pigeon. But the fact that we have here a sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, that was law that was given to those who couldn't afford the larger sacrifice. So it's significant for us to understand some of this context is Jesus, he came with a relatively poor family. Though he was the king, When we say that the king is here, he didn't come in regal robes on a a chariot. He came in a very humble form in a very humble family that could only afford the bare minimum sacrifice for a firstborn son. And that in itself is a whole sermon, but we're going to get into more of that later in the month. But just a little thing for you to chew on. So I just wanted to make clear that this is what would happen again with every firstborn male in a family. But then we see that this firstborn son is very different. Uh, Verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. So again, you have to give a little bit of, just acknowledge this is not, we're not, seeing exactly what's going on here. We don't know. But I'm imagining this older man who's been living his life faithfully. And we don't know what he's done. All we know is that he's been faithful. He has been given a word and we don't know exactly when it was, but that he would see the promised Messiah before he entered glory. That before his days on this earth would end, you will see this Savior, Jesus. And he's waited his life for this. And he's gotten prompted now by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what that looked like. Because we just talked about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago in our own church. And we affirmed that if you are a Christian, you are all filled with the Holy Spirit. We're collectively filled with the Spirit. But just because you're filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you always hear God correctly, right? So maybe this guy, maybe this man, Simeon, maybe his whole life, he's been waiting for the comingest king. Maybe, like you and me, maybe he's even had moments where he's asked, is this the time? Is this the one? Maybe there have been ups and downs with it. But for whatever happened, we can imagine him slowly shuffling towards the temple because he's an older gentleman. Feeling with all of his heart, Holy Spirit, is this what we're leading towards? And feeling the sense, yeah, go to the temple. It's happening. It's happening. It's finally happening. And he enters, shuffling his feet towards the couple, but there's so much meaning there. Because Simeon, he has been a faithful worshiper of this God for his whole life. And this is literally the moment he's been waiting his whole life for. Because he's longed to see God's salvation. He's longed to see the life that would enter this broken world. As we continue in verse 27, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Um, So I was born in Chicago um, until about mid-elementary school, but I, I still have a few memories from when I was a kid. And one of my memories was I didn't live too far from Wrigley Field, which is the home field of the Chicago Cubs, the baseball team. And even as a little guy, the one thing I could remember was the Cubs were not very good. They just never win a World Series, which is the championship of Major League Baseball. But in 2016, even though I am a Philly guy and now a Baltimore guy, I was watching with interest as the Chicago Cubs made the World Series. And they won, and they came back, and go go Wikipedia if you're really interested, right? But they came back in an epic comeback to win the World Series for the first time since 1908. They waited a long time. And one of the things, one of the news stories coming out of that that I just found so compelling was after they won the World Series, so many fans, they took, like, the newspaper clippings and took it to graveyards of their parents and people who had waited their whole life to see the Cubs win a World Series but had passed before they could ever see it with their own eyes. And, like, teary, just sharing it with their loved ones. It happened. It happened. And, and I just, that memory of that came as I thought about Simeon, this idea of something he's been waiting his whole life for. And he's an old man now. And maybe like some of you, things you're waiting for, you get to a certain point And you're like, yeah, maybe I just heard God wrong. Maybe I'm like a false prophet. Maybe, you know, that person, they were shady when they told me this is the word of the Lord. And maybe I just got this whole thing wrong. But Simeon, that, that realization... That everything he's been waiting for, he has been laser focused his whole life. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't know what his family was about. The one thing he know, we know is that he was waiting for the Lord's salvation to be revealed as I had promised. But he had been given this promise. It's not going to happen till you die. I mean, you will see it. And now the moment has come. Simeon gets to see with his own eyes what he was longing for. And then he goes into this song beginning in verse 29 as he depicts that God's salvation is a person and his name is Jesus. And this is a salvation, not just for one particular ethnic tribe, but it's for all peoples. It's for the, the Jewish Hebrew nation, but it's also for this new Jewish nation of all peoples, all Gentiles who are grafted in. And, you know, you're going to get this man Paul coming, big nerd who's going to write all about it. But it's this idea that's already being fully told that there is a whole new family, like we said with the little ones here, and you are all going to experience salvation, and his name is Jesus. The Lord saves. And Simeon's life was satisfied by Jesus when he saw God's salvation. He got to hold God's salvation in his hands. What he had longed for. And he's at peace. What does he say now? Now I can die. Now I can leave this world because I've seen what I've longed for. I just want to pause on that for a moment here. We don't, we don't often pause during sermons, but I want to give you a moment to think on that and just, even for, just for you to be able to ask yourself, you know, as you hear the story, but as you think about your own life, in your own life, what would need to happen for you to be able to say, now I can die in peace because my life is satisfied? Are there things like that for you? Are there any only ifs? Or if I could just, I'm just waiting for, fill in the blank. Because Simeon, he recognized this had happened for him. But for us, as we're sitting here, and again, I'm speaking to my own discontent heart, sometimes I always have, it almost feels like a carrot in front of me. If you can just get this, now you can finally die in peace. I've even said that in my own head. Like, okay, now I can be done. And what happens? Dissatisfaction creeps in again. What's next? What's next? And I'll give that moment for you to pause because I love what our brother Tay said as we were singing. Sometimes we just rush through life, but one of the gifts of Advent is to slow down a bit and to ask some questions that might even feel a little hard. God gives us these rhythms even in his calendar for us to question, are we just on cruise control, auto drive mode, and we're not thinking about life? It's like life is ruling us. And maybe the Lord is giving us some time to pause and say, what is your life about? What moves you? What motivates you? What gives you your meaning? What is that ultimate reality that if you got this, you could say with a full heart, now I can die In peace. And these are hard questions. Some of y'all like, yo, I came in for like a sermon about fat baby Jesus. What's this guy going on about? Crazy man. These are hard questions, but can I encourage you, and we're gonna hit here, that those places are often the places where God will meet you. Those areas that you're wrestling with deep in your soul, those are the places where God desires to meet you in some of, beyond some of the superficial places that we often meet God at. So Simeon, he then goes on to unpack some of the implications of the coming of this Christ and we see that that the king reveals our heart. The king reveals our heart. Look at me in uh, verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed, This child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." And Simeon, right, he got the whole baby Jesus, he got the whole the Lord is the Lord saves, but he starts prophesying, and he prophesies that Jesus is coming. Yo, I know one day they're going to do all these really touchy-feely songs, and, and snowflakes, and like cookies, and all this stuff, but y'all need to know that the king coming, the king being here, Jesus' salvation brings a confrontational effect. Jesus brings to really sharpen and to hone. And like we were saying, to kind of pause and to question, what is our life about? And this is for all humanity. Because we got to recognize Christmas is not just for children. As much as it is, and I hope if you're a child or if you still have a child like heart, you can enjoy the season. But we also got to recognize this Advent, this Christmas, it's talking about the revolutionary coming of King who would bring division and rejection of those who don't worship him. That's what Simeon's talking about here. He's talking about the idea that when Jesus comes, he will force people to recognize who do they worship in their hearts. Who do they have allegiance to? Because sometimes we have an improper understanding of, you know, even the ideas of Jesus. He's the prince of peace. He absolutely is. Or we talk about the season, this is a season of peace. It absolutely is. And in in a season that's too marked by war and hostility and hatred, it's very appropriate for us as people who follow Jesus to pray for peace. Pray for supernatural peace. But we've got to recognize this is not some warm, tepid, lukewarm kind of peace. This is the peace of someone who comes... To force people in our hearts to say, Who do you follow? And if you don't follow me, you're against me. Because Jesus, as it says here, he would cause many to fall. He would cause many to rise in Israel, especially the poor, the downtrodden, those on the outskirts of power and marginalized in society, they would actually be raised up because of Jesus. But many who are in positions of power and authority, who've always been in charge, who've been dark and evil, they would actually experience a fall because of Jesus. Jesus would be spoken against. He would be called evil. He would be called a heretic. He would be called someone who's against God when he was God himself. And Jesus... When the king comes, he unearths, he excavates what is in the heart in terms of how we view him. Another word for that for Christian people is what we worship. When you encounter Jesus, it's like a light shining. As I said here, right, a light will shine. Light shines so that you can see what's really there. And maybe when Jesus came into the world he came in, but also in ours, all of the things that we defend that are sacred to us, Those are the areas that Jesus confronts. In another way, the things that we have elevated to a God above the true God, the things we have given our heart and our devotion and our time and our full allegiance that we bow down to, Jesus is going to force us to confront those things because he don't share a throne. This king has come to sit on that throne on his own. And if I could put some other terminology He's revealing, perhaps, for some of us, the things that we need to be saved from. That's salvation. Um, salvation, depending on your church background, it's a real weird world, right? word, right? Some of you might picture salvation as like a tent meeting out in the middle of the woods and some crazy preacher, maybe sounds like me, right? Just yelling a lot and then offering you salvation, right? Be born again. And you're like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, I'm, that's for messed up people. I'm, I'm okay. Um, because it's almost offensive to say that someone needs to be saved, and maybe for some of you, you, you feel that within your soul, right? Like, I don't want to talk about being saved because you're assuming that people are in a bad situation if they got to be saved. And maybe some people are. Or maybe it feels like for you, if you're a Christian, you're saying to someone, you need salvation. It's almost saying, my life is better than yours. And, and it feels a little off-putting. And, and I think it's easy to misunderstand that salvation is something just for bad people. However, we would define bad people, but the truth of the human condition, and this is applicable for all of us in here. And I don't know all of us, but I can say with a hundred percent guarantee, this is applicable for all of us. That each one of us in this room is looking for salvation in one way or another. Whether we talk about it that way or not, whether we use that language, we are all looking in some sense for our greater hope. We're just looking, when we say we're looking for something to save us, we're looking for something to give us meaning, to give us purpose, to tell us why we've been placed on this earth, to tell us what will bring us joy, what will stop making us so miserable, what will finally be the answer, what will be the solution to this grumpy spirit. We're looking for that thing to give us hope and meaning. Something that if we can just finally achieve, or if we can finally just get this right, this straight in life, then we'll be satisfied. Will be satisfied. And I think one of the most helpful ways to identify maybe some of those areas, because that's different for a whole room like this, is some diagnostic questions that reveal functional saviors. By functional saviors, those things that we can look to to give us those things, give us that hope. And this is, I use this regularly for my own life. I found these questions helpful just from a counselor. He's passed now, but David Powlison, just brilliant stuff. But here's some of the good questions he invites us to ask. What do you daydream about when your mind is free? Maybe this idea, if only. And you said, yeah, I'm miserable. Eh, everyone hates being around me. But if only I could get to blank. If I could only achieve fill in the blank. If I could only achieve this status, if my family could only, whatever it might be, what do you daydream about? What do you, where does your mind go to thinking, if I could only get to this place in life, I'd finally be satisfied? Another question, what gives you unreasonable stress when it is threatened or disturbed in your life? That's a great revealer of functional gods. Because gods don't like to be disturbed. So in your life, when you have to start to have those areas in your life, maybe for some of us, for me, honestly, it's comfort. I like to be comfortable so when things start to impede on my comfort, I can tell my gods are being attacked because I start getting really mad. Frustrated, I start taking it out on other people. That's a good indication that that might be a functional savior for me. Another question, what do you fear? Fear is an amazing revealer of what we have often placed before God. What do we fear? What do you turn to for safety, comfort, or escape in times of stress? Because what is a God? A God is someone we go to when we have no other hope, right? Our functional saviors then, when we are stressed, we're going to run right to them because we're looking to something to give us hope in the midst of a very stressful, hard situation. Where do you see yourself going to when you're stressed out? when you need safety, comfort, or escape. How do you define success? How do you define success? What do you pray for? Your prayer life is incredibly accurate in showing us some of the things that we've lifted up as the most essential in our life. Another way to think about it, what prayer, if went unanswered, would make me seriously think about turning away from God? I got to say that one again. That's crazy. What prayer, if unanswered, would make me seriously think about turning away from God? What thing in your life, if you get, you are sky high, but if you don't get, you find yourself deeply depressed? Questions like this are just really helpful at helping to excavate a little bit what are some of the things we're looking to for ultimate hope, even for people who might follow Jesus. So I'm not saying that if you wrestle with these questions, you're not a Christian. I do. I'm reading every one of these. That's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. Check all. But it's helpful to recognize what do I still need Jesus for in my life? What am I looking to apart from the hope of Jesus who saves? What am I looking to to save me, to give me comfort, to give me hope, to give me meaning, to give me purpose? So practically then, it, this might start to hit upon some of the practical fruit, like um, hit upon our areas of our career or calling. Why do you do the job you do? It might uh, express itself in the form of a person, finding that person who validates you, or maybe your family. Maybe it's material goods, your image, how you're portrayed. Maybe it's found in being a good person who helps others or needing others to depend on you. Maybe for some of us, I know definitely for me, it's being in control. That's a big functional savior revealing thing for me. The need to be in control that we're irritated unless we're able to maintain certain mastery over certain things in our lives. So all to say, the goal here is for us to be able to say, what are some of the things that our hearts are inclined to be drawn to, to look for our hope, look for our salvation, look for our meaning? Because each one of us has those things in our lives that we worship and we put our hope in, that we look to for our satisfaction in our inner being. And here's the thing. When we're confronted with Jesus, some people will fall down and worship. And I'm guessing many of you, you're there. You're like, oh, Lord, thank you for showing me what I've turned to for my hope instead of you. But some will fight him and continue to seek their salvation in anything other than Jesus. And that's what Simeon's prophesying here. Jesus, he does not give you the option to be ambivalent. When Jesus enters the world, you need to choose a side. Am I on King Jesus' side, or am I going to choose my own way? Am I going to follow the true God, or am I going to set up these functional gods that I've looked to? And Am I going to trust him that he can save me, or am I going to continue to think I can be saved by these other areas? Because Jesus is not some cute baby sitting in a manger. I mean, I'm sure he was a cute baby, right? He's a king who wants the full devotion of his followers. So just a question for you to ask yourself, what will you do with him? What will you do with this King Jesus? Will you despise him for threatening what your heart reveals that you worship? Or will you worship him as your satisfying satisfaction and devotion, your salvation? Because I want to make really clear here, that's the part I want to stress, satisfying because some of you, if it may, hopefully you haven't checked out, but some of you might be, oh man, this is one of those like turn or burn kind of guys who was just telling me God wants to make my life horrible and miserable. God hates me. He's jealous. He just doesn't want me to have any fun. He doesn't want me to pursue anything. So all I got to do is go to church every day. Oh man, this is a cult. Let me get out. Um... Jesus doesn't do these things to try to steal from us, to try to make our life miserable, to try to steal away our joy. He actually wants to give us the greatest joy. He wants us to be satisfied, as Simeon was, to be able to rest and say, now I can die in peace because I've encountered salvation. That's freedom. That's not slavery. Because all of these other things as, and I'm not saying they're bad necessarily, but they all promise you satisfaction. But they're like those Christmas gifts that seem so satisfying in that first moment, but that lead to dissatisfaction. Jesus, he saves us from looking to things to save us when they are powerless to do so. And, that, and that's what it means to be saved to know the one who loves you and wants to give you freedom. That's salvation. And when you experience self salvation, it's our third point. The king gives us a story to share. The king gives us a story to share. Look at verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So, you had Simeon shuffling over in his old age in anticipation, filled with spirit, and get to see his baby. Now, you get Anna shuffling over as well. She'd been faithfully serving in the temple all these years. Her whole life has been for God. And, and, you know, we don't get into it. She experienced trauma in her life. She experienced loss, but she's also experienced a deeper sense of knowing the one who's comforted her all these years. And she served, but she's starting to hear rumblings of something going on, right? And imagine she, she, she's just been faithfully worshiping. And, and she goes over to Simeon, give me that baby. That's not there, but I like to imagine. All right, Give me that baby. And she gets to hold and see salvation for th- with her own eyes as well. And as she experienced salvation that came through Jesus, she preached the gospel of Jesus to all who longed for God's redemption. As it says there in verse 38, to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Because Jesus had become her own salvation story. It became something more than something she heard about, but it became her story. This wasn't just Simeon's story. It was her story. And like Simeon, Anna was now also fully satisfied in her soul. And she had to tell someone. She had to tell someone because when you experience life like that, you got to tell someone. You cannot keep it to yourself. It's like if you go to a good restaurant, you better yelp that John. right? Tell someone because it's so good. That's what Anna's experiencing here. And I think just a very relevant application for us, that there's power in our stories. There's power in sharing your story of knowing Jesus. I couldn't help, and this is not on a screen, but a scripture that came to mind as I was thinking about this sermon. Revelation 12, 11. And Revelation, I mean, if you want to go on a trip, right? It's talking all about end times and prophecies. It is crazy stuff. It's beautiful, but it's kind of confusing. But it talks about a battle between good and evil at the end. But here's one part I love. Revelation twelve eleven. It says, they conquered him. And they're talking about the bad guys, right? They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Makes sense. I love the second part here, and by the word of their testimony. It talks about in the end times, in the final battles, how do they win? By Jesus' shed blood. Cool, of course, right? Messiah, King of Kings, but also by the testimony, by the word of their testimony, by their stories, by their salvation. That's what conquered evil in the end. Simply, guys, don't diminish the impact that your story can have in Jesus' kingdom moving forward. Don't minimize the impact of you sharing some of your story with someone else, of how Jesus has met you, how he has freed you, how this is good news for you. It's why at the village, our mission is transforming lives and transforming communities. Simply what that means is we love what we do here. We invite people to come in here, join our church, hear the preaching. If they can make it through Crazy Preacher, beautiful music, all these things, you know, hopefully hear the gospel. But for us, it's much more than even just that. It's that you guys here, you get impacted by the good news of Jesus, and that we want to send you to all the people you represent in our city and beyond, because you represent a whole lot more people than them. Who are sitting here today? You represent schools. You represent neighborhoods in this beautiful city. You represent different countries. I love that as our church grows more and more international. I'm thinking about how many people in the world are impacted because of what goes on here in a simple church in Baltimore. That you are all being sent to represent, but it's to share your story, share how Jesus is impacting you. That in a world that can be so disappointing. Your story is part of God's strategy to let the world know that they can be truly satisfied. In a world that can sometimes feel like a big letdown, your story can be part of God proclaiming good news to people who might never step inside of a church building. But here's, here's what I want to say and kind of give us an addendum to that. A lot of times, here's where I could really go off and say, now, go out there and find as many people that you can find a devotional tract and, and preach about Jesus. Get on a street corner if you need to. Go get a bullhorn. Tell as many people, preach. Cool, do that. If you feel led by the Spirit, do that. But I also want to encourage you, some of the most powerful way that might happen in sharing your story is even when things feel really broken for you when you feel like you don't have much hope. Because I think in the world we live in, one of the most powerful ways we can testify to the satisfying power of this Jesus is how he meets us when we feel like everything else is falling apart around us. Because I think the world is kind of used to Christians yelling at them about how messed up they are. (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing, right? A little bit. A little embarrassing, right? But more and, more and more people I talk to who are maybe wouldn't necessarily say they're Christians, but we share a lot of commonality in how broken life can feel sometimes. Illnesses, family breakdowns, job loss, economic insecurity, loss of people. Because the one common thing that every single person born on this earth experiences, we might not share religious faith, we might not share political ideology, we might not share, heck, what football team you root for. One thing we all share, though, is brokenness and pain. And when you can share a little bit of your story and say, you know what, man, man, I wish I could say I'm conquering this world and I'm like living my best life now and like I'm killing it, I'm crushing it. Yo, I actually feel crushed. I've experienced a lot of hurt, a lot of loss. 2020, it stunk. I thought it was gonna end in 21. It just keep going. Because to a broken, hurting world, one of the most powerful ways you can demonstrate the power of Jesus by saying, even when I feel like I've lost everything, God is still with me. And he can be my satisfaction even when nothing else has felt very satisfying. But even as we share our stories, could I also encourage you to let this not be an opportunity to listen to other people's stories. Sometimes as Christians, we're really good at wanting to talk. One of the best things we can do is stop, pause, quiet ourselves, and listen to real people, real hurts, real wrestling real anger, maybe even at the church, and say, I want to hear more and be able to share our lives with people. But again, don't minimize the impact of story. Don't minimize the impact of what someone like Anna did in proclaiming, but proclaiming can also be sharing the good things God is doing in your own life, even in your hurt. Even when things haven't felt ideal, to know the God who still satisfies, because that's supernatural. That's supernatural. So, I want to invite us to come up to this table in a moment. And as our music team comes up and leads us in some song, what we have on the table is a symbolism of the Last Supper of Jesus, where he shared his body and his blood with his followers, and we take each of these elements. We remember the broken body of Jesus sacrificed for us on the cross, and we remember his blood that was shed to be able to offer us the amazing miracle of forgiveness of our sins, to be cleansed, to be whole, to be satisfied, to be able to be uh, known by Jesus. But I want to invite you, before you just rush up right away as an act of kind of religious ritual, pause for a moment. And we're going to just keep saying that word throughout this month, but pause and, and do what was said here in this passage. Think of the entering of this king as a light for revelation. Let that light search your heart. As it says here, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Don't rush, us up, don't rush up here right away. But before you do that, say, Lord, what are you showing me in my heart? What have I clung to in my hope other than you? And free me from that because it's a master that says it will give me all of life if I bow down to it. But it just disappoints. And God is wanting to give you good news to say, lay that down at the altar and receive the good king, Jesus What is the light of our king revealing in your heart? What is it revealing that you're looking to for your hope? Lay it down at the altar and trust Jesus for your salvation today. Trust that Jesus loves you enough that he would give his very life to give you life. And let the king be the author of a whole new story for you. Let's stand up together. And let me pray for us as we enter this time. Lord, my heart is prone to rush. I, I'm, I know I'm like that. I'm sure some of us can identify. But Lord, in your spirit's mercy, would you give us a moment to pause here? Sit in these things. Jesus, through your spirit, would you search our hearts and reveal those things that we have been looking to for our functional salvation And God, thank you for the good news that tells us we don't have to bow down to that anymore, but we lay that down at the altar. And we want to receive you instead. So Lord, whether we are a Christian and we're doing that over and over again and being reminded regularly of why we need Jesus, we do that joyfully. But Lord, I also pray for some of us, maybe we don't confess Jesus. Maybe this is new, but we feel some of this anxiety of a world that feels dissatisfying. And Lord, perhaps you're inviting us to know the satisfying love of this God who if we have him, even if we lose everything else, we have life. And Lord, maybe today is an invitation to that life in Jesus. So help us as we worship you and we confess our hope that the king is here. So I'm going to invite you as you sing, as you pray. Whenever you're ready, come up the middle aisles, take one of these elements, go back around the outside and just hold it. We're going to take that together at the end as a symbol of our union and our community here together. But let's allow this be a time for the Lord to search us as we worship him.